We start today with the crime wave that's targeting small business. The break-ins, the shoplifting, the broken windows. Got Sebastian Cortez standing by. He's the owner of Sebastian and Company Fine Meats Store on Howe Street. And it's his story this week of his business being just ripped off over and over again. That's getting a lot of attention. It started with his post on Instagram on Monday showing the damage of the the latest break-in here. Let's have a listen to Sebastian's uh, video here. Then we'll speak to him. Have a listen. So it's Thanksgiving Monday morning. Uh, this happened at about 4.30 this morning. Uh, just after one week of the uh, shop being, being broken into, this happened again. Um, it's absolutely crazy. Like, I really don't know what to do with this city anymore. I'm not sure if we might have to take matters into our own hands, but it's crazy. Um, nothing really was stolen, but a lot of uh, the property was damaged and um i don't know if you guys have any suggestions of what can we do in this city um please send them over yes send them over if you've got some suggestions let's talk to him now sebastian cortez he's the owner of the sebastian and company fine meat store on house street sebastian thanks for coming on oh thanks mike for having me thank you I'm, I'm sorry this has happened to you i congratulate you on speaking out about it though let's uh so let's talk about your business how long you've been down there on house street we just opened about a, a year and a half ago. Oh. Um, it was, um, yeah, two Easter's ago. Oh, man. Welcome to the neighborhood, huh? <laughs> boy, oh, boy. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, did the, when did the problem start? You know, that's interesting because when we first opened, um, it was great. The neighborhood was a lot different. Um, you know, it, we didn't see any of this. We saw a little bit, but not like what has been happening in the past, you know, on this year especially. And, uh, you know, we opened through middle of COVID and all of that. So, um, you know, I know there was a lot of problems on the streets, but that area, not particularly. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as bad. And now, just recently, it's been, it's just been brutal. I mean, like, what's happening on, you know, um, just a couple of, like, a block away or in the same block that we are. It's just that uh, there's so much, so much going on right now. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so how many, you've had, what, half a dozen, like, break-ins this year? We had, um, yes, we had one last year, um, and we had a lot of attacks, like just guys, like, you know, you can see we got security cameras, and there's a guy, like, you know, with a metal pole just banging on the window, banging, 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 like, for a while until it fully shattered, and then he just kept walking. So his intention wasn't even to break in. It was just to, like, just cause damage, right? Um, yeah. And I'm constantly, constantly getting into altercations with people on, on with guys on the streets and I see people harassing other people and uh, you know so most of the time I step in cuz I'm I'm honestly I'm like super fed up at this point. Yeah, I I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. You should be fed up. And let me yeah. ask you about this most recent one, like this video that kind of went viral this week. So what happened here? Someone broke in and then there was like someone else came in and started yeah, ripping the so, place off. Yeah. So here's what happened. The week before we got broken into and this a guy came in and took our cash registers, which we have not replaced yet. I'm still waiting for the cash registers to arrive. Um, they're special, but to be honest, I don't think I'm going to put them back. Um, and then what happened a week later, this other fellow broke the other door, 
matched the other door, went in and went straight for the POS systems where the cash registers are in. But he couldn't find them because they were stolen the week before. So he kept looking around for them inside the store. And then he just basically gave up. He grabbed two printers, whatever he can grab. And then I think he got spooked by something because he dropped them and just ran out the door with nothing. Now, in that time, the police called me. said, someone broke into your establishment. We got the security footage. It went in. But by the time I, you know, I, I, the police called me, which was around 4.30 in the morning, I got to the shop at around 5. And in that time, the police was outside guarding the place. And while they were guarding the place, this lady came in and started looting because she saw, oh, there's a broken window. I can walk right into it. And she started grabbing <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff, putting it in her bag. And luckily, she got arrested because the police were already on site, but she just did not see them. So, I mean, that's how crazy it is. It's a matter of, like, you know, 20 minutes, one crime after the other at the same establishment. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Speaking to Sebastian Cortez, Sebastian and Company Fine Meats on Howe Street. You got insurance, right? We do have insurance. I don't know for how much longer they're getting super fed up with us because, um, you know, it's just, it's it's crazy. Like, (laughs) There are premiums are going up to the roof and, uh, you know, we still got to do the deductibles and all that. So it's um, it's been tough. Like it's still a lot of money comes out of our pocket with all of this. Right. So, you know, and, and it's not easy claiming insurance. It's, it's it's so much work, paperwork. And, you know, it's just I just wish it never happened. Like it's it's just nuts. What do you think can be done about it or should be done? You know, I think uh, I mean, we were, you know, saying that. There's just no consequences for all the crime committed in the streets. There's there's way too much freedom on drugs is what I believe is the main problem. I think all of these crimes are, are um, you know, um, related to, to drug problems, addiction sure. and all of that. And I think the city is just being, it's just being managing everything the wrong way. Like, I don't think, you know, I think this, you know, there's a lot of um, opportunities for them and they were giving them a lot. But I think, like, I keep saying this, that I think the city should kind of help you know, small businesses as well, as much as they're helping all these problems. Right now, because there's no consequences, it's a free-for-all yeah. world out there. Like, they're they're doing whatever they, they, they want because they know there's, they're going to... Maybe they go into court and they get released immediately. So sure, sure. Well, it's what's, not a big deal, right? What's the status of your store? Are you guys open? Are you shut down now? Or No, we're open. We're still okay. functioning. Um, <clears throat> we're still functioning. We're still open. And, you know, I got to say, yesterday we had, like, tons and tons of people coming into the shop our sales went up which was great because people are being super supportive they right you know they say like we don't want you to leave we want you to stay in the neighborhood and i you know i was talking to the police officers yesterday and um a lot of people came and you know kind of just you know show their support to us and um and you know that was really nice nice to see and like well, i said i have i have been seeing a lot of um you know just bystander or people just walking by getting attacked by these guys so that's, that's, most of the time yeah that is really nice to hear you're getting that kind of support and it, if i get an opportunity i'd love to come in and buy a, a steak in there myself because <laughs> absolutely the meat in there looks awesome i've just been checking out your instagram and like whoa yeah i know it quality stuff in there yeah, no, we've been, we've been long. We had another, we have another store in uh, in the North Shore as well. So we've been around for a while and that's what we do, like high, good quality products. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's a popular store. So, okay, Sebastian, thing. hang in there. Thanks for coming on. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank Sebastian you. Cortez there. He's the owner of Sebastian and Company Fine Meats on House Street. Uh, broken into a game. 
All right, let's talk about the latest in the Hockey Canada saga now. Canada's major amateur hockey association and governing body under sustained fire here for its handling of sexual misconduct accusations against Canadian junior hockey players. The secret payouts of millions of dollars into sexual assault complainants. The slush fund where the money came out funded in part by membership fees from young hockey players across Canada. It all reached a crescendo yesterday. Hockey Canada CEO Scott Smith, he packed it in. And so did the entire board of directors. They all resigned yesterday. Got Bruce Arthur standing by from the Toronto Star. Let's go back in time a few months here now. Here's Scott Smith, the Hockey Canada president here. This is him pleading to hang on to his job in front of a parliamentary committee a couple months back. Have a listen. Canadians have been clear. They expect those representing our national sport to do better. We recognize that many of the actions we are taking now should have been taken sooner and faster. We own it, and we will do better to deliver on our responsibilities to Canadians. Okay, it didn't work out that way. He has now resigned. The entire board of directors of Hockey Canada has resigned. Let's check in with Bruce Arthur now, columnist at the Toronto Star, contributor at TSN. Very pleased to have him on. Hey, Bruce, thank you. Mike, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. Thanks a lot for coming on. Why did this take so long? Like, what was going through this guy's mind that he felt he could somehow hang on here? I think the way you have to look at this is twofold. In terms of Hockey Canada, this is not a federation that's used to pressure. It's not a, even a federation that's used to criticism other than we didn't win a gold medal or we did. Um, and they were insulated financially, even when the federal government froze funding, even when certain sponsors in the summer paused their relationship with Hockey Canada. But what happened this week is you saw more and more sponsors walking away. You saw Canadian Tire actually cut its severance relationship with Hockey Canada. You saw provincial federations in response to that saying, we will not forward our registration fees to Hockey Canada. So what you had, I mean, the federal funding is something like 4% of Hockey Canada's budget. Sponsorships closer to 40%, the rest is largely merchandise and registration fees. So they just ran out of friends. In terms of yeah. Scott Smith, I think he knew for, I, I'm under the impression that he knew for a while that he is, his position was untenable. But if you're Scott Smith and you've been working at this organization for as long as you have, you know you're not going to get hired for the next two years. He was waiting to be fired because he needs the severance package because he's not going to work for two years. As for the board, they have not resigned yet. They've just said they're not going to run for mm. the election. They're still choosing the interim management committee, which we don't know what that's going to be, which is going to run Hockey Canada for the next few months. And then eventually they will leave in mid-December after the new board elections. It's still a really fluid time for Hockey Canada. Speaking of Bruce Arthur, Toronto Star, TSN, the latest on Hockey Canada. What do you think was the most egregious thing that happened here? Why did we reach this point? When you look back on this whole chain of events and revelations that we've seen, Bruce, like what is the most egregious part of it to you? Well, okay, so one thing that Andrea Skinner, the interim board chair, said during her testimony to Parliament last week, is she said that, you know, when we settled that lawsuit, which relates to a gang, alleged gang sexual assault in London, Ontario, in 2018 after a World Junior Championship uh, gala. Yeah. They said that we're, we're victim-focused, right? We were trying to do the right thing. But the end result of all the processes that Hockey Canada had in place meant that Hockey Canada, very hurriedly, after being uh, contacted by a journalist, 
settled a gang sexual assault case without knowing the names of the players who had been accused, without knowing the facts of the case, while forcing the alleged victim to sign a non-disclosure agreement without the board officially in board minutes approving of the settlement. They went in camera. This is a little bit inside baseball. They went in camera to approve it. There are no records of the Hockey Canada board approving this settlement and doing so with a slush fund in which player registration money was used for the express purpose of what amounts to making a sexual assault case go away to save our boys. That's basically what this was. And when you add up how little oversight there is of Hockey Canada, this cannot have been the first time that it has happened. And that goes for both the assault and for the settlement. And all of a sudden we woke up to the, to the idea that the people running Hockey Canada might not have the people uh, who are associated with the game in mind as much as the brand. And that's kind of what this amounts to. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's a, an excellent summary of, of the situation. And it just like seemed like, okay, let's, pay, let's spend this money to make this go away, sweep this under the rug, and, no, and hopefully no one knows about it, finds out. Let me play a clip here exactly. for you, Bruce. Yeah. Let me play a grip clip here for you, Bruce, get your thoughts. So this is uh, Brian Cairo, who is the chief financial officer at... Hockey Canada, and this is part of his testimony to that parliamentary committee. And he's talking here about the precise case that you just outlined, the 2018 accusations here against eight junior members of Team Canada in this gang sexual assault in a hotel room in London, Ontario. And like you said, they, you know, they quickly paid out this money uh, with very little investigation. And it's like, I don't think they wanted to know the facts. I think they just wanted it to go away. But here is Brian Cairo. This is the uh, chief financial officer Hockey Canada explaining it to Parliament. We didn't know all the details of the night, uh, but we did believe harm was caused. Uh, we had two options. Was basic, you know, one was basically work with the young lady to arrive at a resolution that met her needs and didn't re-victimize her or force her to litigate, which likely would reveal her identity and would essentially condone this behaviour to Canadians. So the way they frame this is they were trying to not re-victimize the victim here, and that's why they did it this way. Bruce, what do you think of that? I think there, there is sadly actually some truth to that. If you look at the recent Jake Vertanen trial, he was a former Vancouver Canuck on trial for sexual assault. He was, he was, uh, he was let off. Um, that, that trial, what, what happens when you accuse powerful people in powerful industries or powerful cultural positions? of sexual assault, we've seen what happens, right? We've seen what happens in terms of a power imbalance. We've seen what happens in terms of the way those victims are treated. So I do think that there's, there's some truth to that. The problem you get is that's one of the problems we have with hockey in the country, right? And, it's, and I don't know how you, how you solve it because this is the most po- popular sport in Canada. And it's more than just a popular sport. Like soccer in so many nations, it's one that we associate specifically with our patriotism, with our sense, sense of self, right? What does yeah. it mean to be yeah. Canadian? If, you're gonna, if, if people around the world would, at, would put hockey on the short list of what that means. But it means that when you don't examine an institution or, or a culture, we, we've never in this country shown much of an appetite to look at the downsides of hockey culture. We all know that there's a lot of good stuff about the game, but if if you don't have engage in self reflection, if you engage in kind of adulation, if you look at yourself in the mirror and you see that there's no problems, then that's where you wind up with problems like this. 
And so that, I think, again, there's truth to that. And I don't know how you fix that. But yeah. Hockey Canada, as an organization, never used the power it could have had to even identify the alleged perpetrators. Like, that, right. to me, is a key detail on all this. Right. And, and those, the, the people who were alleged to have done this, by the way, they were, there were eight players that were not named in any of the documents that have been released. And they kept playing, right? Like, they, they didn't suffer any consequences. Well, they all got pro contracts, I believe. Well, we don't know exactly if all of them were in the pros, but there's a ton of kids from that from that uh, from that team that are professional yeah. hockey players today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's happened is you've seen kind of a, a kind of elimination by elimination of suspicion, where there's certain players have come out and said, "I was not associated with this. I was not involved in this." So the list of possibilities have dwindled. There are a lot of NHL players who are going to wind up to have found to, to have been involved in this in this incident. Um, and it's, I mean, the, the I mean, one they, thing, they, if they you just, actually read the details of it, if you read the details of the incident, yeah. of how they, how, they, how, the, how they went through the night, how they lured the woman back to the hotel with one player and then other players joined, how they got her to say that she consented on film and that she was sober, even though she clearly wasn't. Um, this was, can't have been the first time this happened. Like, this was a plan. That, to me, is one of the most discomforting aspects of all of this, is this can't have been the first time. Bruce, thank you very much for coming on with your analysis today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Seeing uh, the entire board and the CEO step down is an important step forward, uh, but there's a, ch a culture to change. There is an awful lot of work to ensure uh, that the structures and systems that Hockey Canada has in place uh, protects employees, protects Canadians, protects our kids as they play hockey. Okay, as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking yesterday and reacting to the big news in the Hockey Canada saga, the CEO stepping down, the entire board of directors is also stepping down, a new board set to be appointed. Let's continue the discussion now with my guest, Patrick Johnston, hockey writer for the Vancouver Sun and Province. Hey, Patrick. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on. Why do you think it took this long for this change to happen in the in the leadership positions here? It's uh, it is baffling, I think, to almost every single person you talk to. Even even NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman weighed in on this, and he's not often a guy who likes to weigh on stuff like this. But he said, "I don't quite understand what their approach is," and I, I think it more than anything, it just it became almost like a you know a. a a dying animal, you know, thrashing about in, in sort of its last gat, last fight. And it, it was not a good thing to see. Um, I think it was people who. I think it's it's a tough one. You, you want to expect that people go into these sorts of things because they want to help, they want to make things better, um, and that they're doing a good job. And and uh, you know, I, I no one wants to be told that they're doing a bad job. And people get these people kept getting told they were doing a bad job. And, and in the end, they, you know, Andrea Skinner was the, the chair. She finally resigned on the yeah. weekend. Um, but even last week was saying, no, we're, look, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Look, we are trying to change. We are trying to change. We are trying to change. But, you know, it, it just, it, it was a bit baffling. I think they're getting bad advice. This is my outside yeah. take. I mean, they hired Navigator to be their sort of crisis management people and said, blame the media, blame everybody else. And literally everybody was, was telling them you guys are wrong you need to change new things need to happen here um and it was just a defiance that uh yeah. you know really stands out in the, in the broader picture in, in the modern age i would say 
Yeah, it really does, especially when the writing on the wall was writ so huge. I mean, it was like 30-foot-tall letters here. I mean, everybody knew, I think, where this was heading. But do you think it was the their major sponsors? I mean, when you got Tim Hortons and Bauer and these big companies start bailing out on you, I mean, that's kind of the end. It, it, it is. And now, I think that, even in the summer, that's why people were so surprised no change happened. And I think, you know, that... The, the, basically gave the final answers like they did from, like you said, from Bauer this week, for instance, from Tim Hortons last week. Um, You know, basically saying, guys, the money is not coming back until you do something different. And, and, you know, that it took that much. I mean, earlier in the year, I kind of jokingly tweeted the old line from, from uh, my cousin Vinny or Joe Pesci is told to get, you know, get put on something serious. And he says, you were, you know, then gets, gets contempt of court and says, you were serious about that. You know, there was sort of, I was sort of almost the attitude that we saw earlier in the summer. And it was, it was, you know, that hockey is used to sort of, there is a culture in hockey that, uh, you know, we, so many people love the game and they, you know, it's been a good game and it's done good things for people um, and for many people, but there's still this sort of sense of entitlement that we're just kind of cream of the crop. We're the top. Everything we do is, is perfect and wonderful. And, and any idea that we could possibly have taken missteps was just always cast away. And that, that that you know sadly is is very fitting with sort of how they got to this position in the first place that 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 you know you have yeah. a group of young men who have not been given very good guidance in their youth and you know yes hockey can is not wrong this is a societal problem but that doesn't mean you try to fix you know you try to make yourselves better you try to be a leader and talk about sexual violence and and how we talk to each other and how we approach uh, human relationships and and you know hockey has has been too long thinking oh well you know the you know we're good people the people in charge are good people so the people underneath well they're just you know a bunch of bad actors and the bad seeds and you can just kind of sweep it away and i and that that i think is what we're really seeing here is that a complete sort of lack of broader understanding of of how the world works and what how you can make things better and what is possible and what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable and when you don't talk beyond your own sport, and I think hockey has been, I was, I think a lot of hockey leadership has been guilty of this, thinking that there's nothing to be learned from the outside, and, and look where it's gotten them. And, and you know, now they're in a position where they've got to find some new leadership, and they've got to find leadership quickly. And um, you know, pa- hockey parents. I talked to Peter Julian on the weekend before Andrew Skinner announced her resignation, and uh, you know, he said, "Listen, hockey's in a bunker, and you know that we're at a crucial point. Hockey parents, you know, people want to know, they want to." believe that they're that they're involved in something that has a broader you know purpose that's moving forward that's making things better and certainly that hasn't been the case and and when your membership is struggling to understand what's going on they need to hear things and and that has not been the case all summer like i said there's been this bunker mentality and a sort of a lack of seriousness of the of, of understanding the criticism that's been thrown at them hey patrick we just got one minute left where speaking of where this all goes now, like what are the next steps here? I think the new board would be appointed in December. Is that correct? Got a minute here? Yeah, it's it, you know I mean they, they've been they've been clearly looking for new board members. So yeah, you, you're going to have to fire or sorry, you're going to have to hire some people who are going to have a clear, coherent. You know they need to make some some really smart decisions on how this goes. It's 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 a really you know it's it's when you lose everything. It's going to be really challenging to see how things shake out. They're going to need to find somebody to step up and say, this is what we're going to do, and then move forward and, and have a coherent strategy in terms of 
both selling themselves to the public as we are going to be the change makers that people want to hear about and and having a having a broader plan to 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 justify and satisfy you know our our parliamentarians who have been asking really strong important questions of why hockey canada deserves the position it currently maintains and should have that position going forward patrick thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it appreciate it always a pleasure mike take care Let me just start with saying this. I strongly believe, in the, and the majority of Americans I agree, uh, nobody should have to go to jail for smoking weed. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris there and her appearance this week on the Late Night Show with Seth Meyers uh, talking about the blanket amnesty for marijuana possession that's been announced in the U.S. by the Joe Biden administration. Should Canada do the same thing? Dana Larson is my guest. He's a cannabis rights activist. I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Dana. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. How does the system work here in Canada? I mean, marijuana is, is legal in the country now, but you don't automatically, like if you have a record, a criminal record for possession of cannabis, you don't automatically get an amnesty on that correct you have to apply for it you have to apply for it and pretty much nobody has you know there's there's at least ten thousand people that could qualify for this and i think they've given out to like 630 uh uh, actual pardons for this so most people haven't bothered applying it's a cumbersome process it can cost you money and you know the reality is for canadians with the cannabis uh conviction it's actually crossing over to the u.s border that's one of the biggest hassles, and getting a pardon in Canada doesn't help you do that. Maybe this move by Joe Biden will, though, eventually. What do you think about what Biden is doing here? Yeah, I mean, for Canadians, just getting into the U.S., if you've got a criminal record for cannabis possession, or even if you admit to a a border agent that you've smoked marijuana in the past, you can be banned for life. Uh, And so, you know, that's a big burden for a lot of Canadians getting across that border. Uh, And hopefully this won't affect that right away, but hopefully this will lead to further changes where someone who admitted they smoked pot uh, can still get across the border into the U.S. Okay, well, let's have a listen to the U.S. president here making this announcement. So here he is talking about this blanket amnesty for federal, federal cannabis convictions. Have a listen. Criminal records for marijuana possession have led to needless barriers to employment, to housing, to educational opportunities. So today, I'm announcing a pardon for all prior federal offense, federal offenses for the simple possession of marijuana. There are thousands of people who are convicted for marijuana possession who may be denied employment, housing, or educational opportunities as a result of that conviction. My pardon will remove this burden on them. Okay, as President Joe Biden there announcing that federal pardon for marijuana possession convictions in the United States. Keep in mind, uh, Dana, when we're talking federal uh, federal convictions in the U.S., you can be charged at the state level with marijuana possession in the U.S. too, right? And, and that's where most of the charges are laid, right? So this, this affects around 6,000 people, which is certainly better than nothing, and it's a great start. But he's also encouraging state governors to do the same, and, and some they have. So California's already gone through this process. Gavin Newsom already did it. And a few other state governors have said, oh, well, now that Biden's doing it, we're going to look at doing it in our state, too. And, you know, others are saying never. In Texas, they're saying we'll never do that. Uh, So it's making everybody talk about it. And hopefully it leads to a a trend at the state level. Okay, and it seems to be a popular move by Biden there. There's an election year in the United States. And 
for Congress, and the polls appear to be Americans tending to, it seems a, a, a majority of Americans like this move. I think that's true. I think opinions changed a lot. And being a politician, Biden's changed a lot, too, because in the 90s, he was helping write a lot of these laws that were more strict on cannabis and saying that we needed harsher laws. So now he's helping to undo some of the harm that that he did uh, as a senator in passing these laws through in the first place. Okay, so let's talk about how it works in Canada again for a minute. So let's say you have a marijuana possession charge on your, your record or conviction. Dana, have you ever been charged with that marijuana possession yourself? Uh, I have not. I was charged okay. with trafficking in cannabis seeds when I was giving away <clears throat> seeds. Uh, those charges were ultimately dropped. Uh, but I've never been mm. convicted for any cannabis crimes. In okay. Do you know? I'm sure you know people who have been. Uh, like for oh, absolutely. Pos- simple, absolutely. simple possession. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, often simple possession, uh, uh, it's a reality. Sometimes it's in concert with other things. And they'll stack it on or they'll plead you down to that or something. But there's, there's definitely, uh, and especially like during the 60s and 70s where possession charges were a lot more common. And a lot of Canadians are still around who got a conviction as a young person at that time. Uh, you know, possession charges simply had, had gone down quite a bit before legalization came in. It's kind of a, a trend away from laying charges just for possession. But there's thousands and thousands, well over 10,000 Canadians. Uh, and to me, really, if we're going to acknowledge that this was the wrong thing to do, then we should give, give each of them a little bit of money as well and, and make it easy, make the, get that pardon in place and like apologize. Hey, we're sorry you had to go through this in the first place and recognize that this was always a, a terrible policy and a terrible idea to discriminate and punish people for, for using cannabis or really for using any drug. Okay, well, cannabis, of course, legalized in Canada, and the Trudeau government has said that they have delivered on their promise to help people expunge these records for simple marijuana possession. They announced a streamlined record suspension application process where people can file to have their record erased for simple possession. Why... Like you touched on this a little earlier, they were expecting like 10,000 applications to come in. And there's been like less than 1,000. Like why? Yeah, they got they got like somewhere in the 900s of applications. And then a third of those they they didn't accept. So there's been about 630 that have actually gone through uh, that have gotten them, which is better than nothing. But obviously, out of 10,000 people, there's a problem. Uh, if if that tiny percentage are the only ones getting through. I think the government should be more proactive on it on their end and actually expunge the record. They're only giving a pardon, so the record is still there. Oh. It's just got a pardon attached to it. And I think putting the burden on people to, act, you know, to actively do that, obviously, it's the wrong way around. The government made the mistake in the first place. They should be actively what, uh, expunging these records. What kind of impact does it have on your life to have um, um, cannabis possession conviction on your record like what can how does that affect you well it, it makes it difficult to get bonded for certain times of types of employment you have to uh, reveal that in any kind of criminal record check that's done so if you have an employer who doesn't like cannabis users or in many uh, workplaces that can be a big issue and you can't won't get hired and uh, and traveling to the u.s which can be a key component for many jobs in canada is is just impossible uh with a cannabis conviction like that if it comes up you will definitely be banned for life uh, even admitting to cannabis use at the border, you know, in the past can get you banned for life. So, so there's still a lot of realities there. Uh, 
but I think that the biggest one I think is going across the border. And even if you get a pardon in Canada, that doesn't apply to the border. That doesn't give you a pardon in the U.S. Right. So, so that that's still in place for a lot of people, regardless okay. of what happens in Canada. All right. Talking pot possession with my guest, Dana Larson. He's a cannabis activist looking at what just happened south of the border here in the United States. The Biden administration announcing that blanket pardon for cannabis possession at the federal level south of the border calls uh, in Canada for Justin Trudeau to do the same thing. If you have a cannabis possession record in Canada, you can apply, apply for a pardon. Let's go to your phone calls. Greg and Poco. Hey, Greg. Uh, hi, Mike. Um, I'm just going to preface this by saying I've never done weed in my life in any of its forms. However, I figured when the legislation came down federally in 2016, 2017, that weed was now legal across the country, that there would have been an attachment to that stating that there would have been a blanket pardon or amnesty or whatever across the entire board for anybody who had um, up to and including a certain kind of weed-related charge. The fact that that hasn't happened kind of, I don't want to use the word discriminatory, but it kind of went against a whole group of people that got caught up in something that was perfectly safe before a certain date, and then after that, they have to go through this large, cumbersome process just to be back at square one. Square one. I think that's wrong. I think that we, if that's the case, let's put out a blanket pardon or amnesty, however it would be termed in Canada. Yeah. And let's change up and start moving forward on something that we know through studies and anecdotally is a good product to consume for a wide array of issues. Okay, thank you very much for the call. Okay, Dana, you fought for many years for legalization in, in Canada. In the Back in those days... Were there calls at the time, like when the Trudeau government was getting set to legalize, were there calls at the time for a blanket amnesty? Oh, absolutely. That was something we were pushing for and bringing up quite a bit. And it took quite a bit of lobbying even to get what we got. This was sort of a separate thing. It wasn't really directly included in the legalization uh, laws. Uh, and it should really be trafficking, too, at least small amounts. You know, a lot of people charged with trafficking are just getting a bit of weed for their friends or just doing a, you know, they're not big uh, cartel people or anything. They're just trying to help their friends get a bit of pot. So it probably should go beyond possession as well to at least uh, small scale uh, dealing and sharing and things like that too. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Will in Delta. Hi, Will. Go ahead. But is this comedy hour? These guys broke the law. <laughs> And still, scientists are telling us it is not good to consume copious amounts of weed. It's bad for your brain. It's it's uh, a precursor to schizophrenia. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's good. And what, are we going to give reparations for every person whose law was changed now? Like, roll up another one, buddy. Dana, what do you say to him? Well, I think if we're changing the law, we should be giving reparations to every time we, we change the law and recognize that the law was wrong and that we were doing harm by that. But that doesn't happen too often, you know. But, yeah, I think that's appropriate. <clears throat> well, I mean, his point, too, about, okay, smoking a ton of weed is, I don't think is 
a healthy healthy thing but the fact is it's legal in canada now so i mean if you're going to say to people we'll erase your record for possession through an application process why not just simplify it like biden has done and just say we're doing a we're doing a blanket amnesty pretty It'd simple much easier for everybody involved yeah. if the government would take that on put that yeah. amnesty in place uh, I, I totally think that that's the way we should be going and you know 600 people out of 10,000 obviously there's a problem John in Vancouver. Hi, John. Go ahead. Hi. Um, Hi. I'm not sure how the amnesty would affect your record, but I do know if you were to seek a pardon or a record suspension after you have uh, a, a possession charge or conviction, crossing the border would be more difficult to do while you have the, the record suspension than if you didn't. They, the border police in the U.S., they can view that you have something in your history they may not see exactly what it is but because of that they would want you to get um a u.s entry waiver but if you didn't have oh. the pardon or the record suspension they can see that it's just a simple possession um, charge and then they'll probably let you in based on that dana is that correct well, it, it is it is a challenge, and having having a pardon because a pardon doesn't erase anything; it just shows that you've been pardoned for something. And pardons in Canada don't count to Americans, so having a pardon in Canada doesn't erase the original offense for them. So, yeah, absolutely, getting getting a pardon sometimes can make it more challenging to get across. The more attention you draw to yourself. That, right. oh, I've got this, but I've also got that or whatever like that just makes it worse. And like, you know, I've been banned from the U.S. not because I'm an activist, not because I had conviction, because I told a border guard I was going to a cannabis related event. He asked me, have you ever smoked marijuana? I said, oh, I have in the past thinking that oh. was like a clever answer. And he said, you're banned for life. And I haven't ever been able to go back to the U.S. So wow. that's not even for a conviction. Right? So, that, you know, and there's a lot of Canadians in that situation, too. Where, so hopefully this in the U.S., you know, moves towards like not bringing not forbidding canadians and others from coming in is that for something hey, did, that hey, 30 seconds here dana does that mean you could never go back to the united states ever like could you apply for a waiver i've got a lawyer working on it now but i don't know okay. they don't seem very optimistic okay